Check this out, y'all. Audio level full volume. It's your time. This is Border to Border with Matt Josephs. He's super famous. This guy's a fraud, a phony. I respect women. I love women. I respect them so much that I completely stay away from them. Matt, your manliness is overwhelming. Sports, 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 sports. Audio level full volume. It's go time. Here's Matt Josephs on Richmond's 1061 ESPN. Good afternoon, everybody. Border to Border, 1061 ESPN. Matt Joseph's here on a gorgeous Thursday here in the capital city. And a lot to get into on the show today. Uh, coming up in about two or three minutes, we're going to have uh, Danny Wexelman on. She of the MLB Network Radio and covering all sorts of stuff. She's going to talk a little uh, MLB playoffs with us in just a few moments. And then uh, after that, if we can, we're going to try and connect with the voice of the JMU Dukes as they get set for their game today, uh, tonight against Mark. Marshall, uh, 7 o'clock, James Madison at Marshall getting the college football spotlight tonight, as it should be. Uh, We'll talk about that with uh, the voice of the Dukes. And there's some topics I want to get into today. One of the things I want to debate, and when I say debate, I'm going to present everything. AJ will vote on it, and you guys can uh, do so as well. Would you rather be the team, when they do these 2-3-2 series formats, would you rather be the 2-2 on the 1st and 2nd and 6th and 7th, or would you rather be the 3-4-5? Because you can make a case for both of them. And I'll lay out the case a little bit later after our guests. And we'll actually, we'll get Danny's uh, opinion on that too. Because uh, this could be what the Phillies fans are essentially deciding right now. Because if you have the Phillies and the Rangers, the Rangers are the home team, which means the Phillies get 3-4-5. and five. The Rangers get 1-2-6-7. and seven. And if it's the Astros... The Phillies are the home team. They get one, two, six, and seven, and the Astros get the three in the middle. So I've always thought, and I'll lay this out real quick before we get her on, I've always thought I want to be the three, four, five. Because all you have to do, especially when you have a home field advantage like the Phillies do, you get one of those first two, you may not have to go back to wherever you're going. And so um, I've always said, and I don't know, the NBA used to do that. They don't do it anymore. Now it's I think it's two, two, one, one, one which is probably just as foolish with all that travel. But the NBA, remember, their playoff series take like three weeks to complete. They um, they take like three weeks to complete. You play the first game on like a Tuesday. Your next game's not until like next Saturday. Um, so it's a little different for baseball, which is going to be playing through those three games back-to-back-to-back days. The Phillies and the Diamondbacks will play uh, today, tomorrow, and Saturday, maybe, if necessary. Uh, And the Astros and the Rangers are going to keep playing as well over these three days. Um, So we'll get into that. I I, I, I think I prefer the middle three over the two outside twos. Um, But we'll get into that. And then also, uh, there is a sports book that thinks the Washington Commanders are favored to get who? We'll talk about that, as well as uh, ACC fall meetings are beginning today. And, well, now that they added three more teams, foolishly, they have to kind of work on their scheduling. So uh, there's some stuff that's being proposed, but we'll get into that a little bit later on in the show. And uh, usually we don't have guests in the first segment, but when you have someone this good and she requests this segment, you certainly let her on. She is on the MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. She's on SNY. She's all over the place. You can follow her on Twitter at Danny Wex. Danny Wexelman. Danny, how's it going? Oh my gosh, what an intro. I know. Thank you for being flexible with your time for me. I really appreciate it. No problem. I texted you last week. I said, we'll get you on this week when the Phillies were in the LCS, <laughs> and now they're in the LCS. What do you think we've seen? What do you think of that series we've seen so far? How many more games do you think this goes? Uh, it's- 
it has been electric. It's been everything you could ever want in a postseason series. I am not exaggerating when I say that because of the fans. And we'll talk about that in a second. But to answer your question, I think it goes four games. I think the Phillies sweep the next two and they move on and get back to the World Series. I just think the level that they've played at, there's no holes in their game. Ranger Suarez is a bona fide starter, game three starter. He is. He has deserved and earned that title. And the way that they've played, what they accomplished at the bank, and they've completely shut down any plans Arizona had I think, to even participate in this LCS. The, the Diamondbacks are a year ahead of schedule, and I love this team. Corbin Carroll and Jordan Lawler covered those guys in high school. Big fan of Alec Thomas and, and Gabby Moreno and Christian Walker, but I think that they have some, some more growing to do because this Phillies team is like a grown man, and the Diamondbacks are like an angsty teenager just growing up a little bit. What do you make of Arizona changing up the lineup a little bit? We saw in game one of the Braves-Phillies series that um, uh, Brian Snicker changed his lineup up. It didn't work. What do you think about Arizona changing things a little bit? I think it's okay to an extent. I mean, listen, we saw that with the Astros as well. Kyle Tucker got moved down in the lineup because he had been struggling. But listen, of course, if you're going to match up against lefty-righty, I'm, I'm completely in favor of that. You have to do what is best for you in those situations. I think it's tough when you get to the postseason and you're asking a guy to bat in a position that he is not accustomed to. They'll tell you it doesn't matter where they bat. But I do think there's probably a little psychological thing going on there. But I don't have a huge problem with it. I think it only hurts you if you aren't prepared for the worst-case scenario when you move them. What do we know about Brandon Fodd tonight, the starting uh, the starting pitcher for the Diamondbacks? All right, so this guy debuted this year. I actually saw him, so I was in Philly for game two. Had to go, had to see it. Had to feel my brain just be absolutely blown away by the fans there. He debuted earlier this year. He's pitched seven and a third innings in the postseason. He had a home start already, so he kind of knows how it goes. But this is a rookie. This is a guy who I think it's great. He has home field advantage. I won't expect a ton out of him. I think two times through the lineup, if he can navigate what the Phillies are about to bring, that would be best-case scenario. Listen, The Diamondbacks have a good bullpen. They're fully rested. We haven't even seen one of their guys, his name's Kevin Ginkle, in the LCS yet. He's the bridge to Paul Seawald, the closer. And so if Brandon Fott can navigate two times through and you can pass it along to the bullpen, I actually think you have a chance. If the Diamondbacks can put up any amount of run support in the first couple of innings, I think it makes for a better ball game for them and the ball gets a little bigger. But Brandon Fott has his hands full with what the Phillies bring. One through nine, there is not a hole, there is not a let-up of weakness in Philadelphia's lineup. So I'm very interested to see the game plan they have. Because, listen, the Phillies, they can get out. They're they're not perfect. They make mistakes. But they are dialed in. They're playing baseball. It feels like on a different planet. Can you explain what what has happened the last couple months with Trey Turner? Obviously, he struggles a little bit at the start. Then they do the standing ovation, and it feels like he's been the hottest hitter in baseball. Doesn't it feel like he's watching beach balls come in at him when he swings the bat? I think that the ovation probably unlocked this relief for him. He, I think he felt like the weight of the team on his shoulders, whether or not that was true. You know, you do have Bryce Harper. You do have your, your cast of characters along that team. But when you get a contract 
of $300 million and more, and you are going to be with this organization for a long time, that's kind of weigh on you. I do believe also his wife was pregnant, so I'm not saying that's a part of it. But listen, these are people, too. They have to go home, and, and they have lives as well, so they're humans and all of this. But I do think the ovation was the catalyst to allow him to be Trey and play as Trey and play a little more loosely because the numbers you saw, especially in September, when he was out of his mind good, and you're seeing that translate to the postseason now, which is all that matters. For me, the early struggles, the early growing pains with Trey, all worth it. And to watch the fans in Philadelphia flip the script and say, you know what, instead of booing him and making him feel worse about his slow start, why don't we love him? Why don't we embrace him? What a crazy concept, right? To actually love the guy who's going to be a face and your starting shortstop for a very long time. I think that you can attribute a little bit of that to his progression and the way that he was able to get out of that slump. Let's stick with the fans. Uh, obviously, you know, it's been a great home field advantage for the Phillies. And obviously, baseball, you don't get a lot of atmospheres like that, certainly during the regular season. Do you think it's made a difference? Do you think it intimidates opponents? Oh, Matt, yes. I, I can say it firsthand because I was there. This is why I wanted to go to the game. I wanted to be able to speak about this. So the way that the fans stand for the entire game, the engagement, the understanding of the game, just being involved and understanding when to be loud, how to be loud, why it's important, I think that they have completely raised the bar for the fan so to speak. And I also, I'm going to say this, I think they revitalized it a little bit too. Like sometimes I feel like, and, and I can't speak to this, maybe you can, Phillies fans might get a bad rap, right? There are instances where that happens and the passion is oozing from them. But what I saw in that ballpark in game two was a group of people who stood for the entire time, even though it was a blowout game, they love their fans. The team loves the team loves those fans like they are a 10th member on the field. That's what... I feel between them. So when you're an opposing team going to that ballpark, I'm telling you right now, I couldn't even hear myself think, Matt. So imagine a pitcher on the mound, a younger pitcher in, I don't know, Merrill Kelly. I mean, Zach Gallen, he's been in the league, but not postseason experience in the league. You're trying to think. You can't even hear your pitch comp. And then you're a batter, right, for the Diamondbacks to try to even think yourself through and at bat when you're facing really good starting pitchers. It's very difficult. They add a layer there, and you can't underestimate it. It's absolutely invaluable. All right, let's go over to the ALCS, Danny, and talk about tonight. Uh, I don't know what to expect tonight because you've got two pitchers here that it feels like they may go three innings, they may go five innings, who knows. (laughs) What's your kind of thought as to how long these starters may go tonight and who you kind of like a little bit between the Astros and the Rangers? Yeah, I actually think you're spot on there. So Jose Urquidy and Andrew Heaney are going to be the starting guys. And I do think that it could be maybe three to four, depending on the flow of the game. And I'll say this, I think it's important for them to keep the other team off the board early and get the ball to the bullpen. I think that's the key. The team I think that does that the best is going to win the ball game tonight. And I wouldn't expect a ton from either side. I think the plan for the Rangers is Andrew Heaney and then Dane Dunning. They're going to be maybe a more of an opener-type role to try to get to the bullpen. We didn't see Josh Spores or Roldis Chapman or Jose LeClerc in the game yesterday. And for those who are unfamiliar, Jose LeClerc earned the, the closer role. He took it from Will Smith and Aroldis Chapman. He's pitched in every game in the postseason except for last night. If you get the ball to him, 
and you're winning, you're going to win the game. That's how it's been, and that's how it's gone. So for the Astros to win last night, I think it gives them some momentum. It's kind of crazy that their road record is better than their home record. It's weird they lost the first two games at home, but baseball is weird. So tonight, the Astros can build on what they did yesterday. You've got to have Jordan Alvarez, Jose Altuve, Michael Brantley, Kyle Tucker. Those guys have to produce offense and also they left way too many guys on base the first two games. That was their downfall. They couldn't get guys in when they were in scoring position, and they just flat-out left runners on the bases. The Rangers outplayed them the first two games. They come down to life a little bit tonight, but those two starters at Urquidy and Heaney, they set the tone for their team. What do we make of Max Scherzer? Was last night rust, or is he just not as good as he used to be? Oh, He was so optimistic post-game, which I feel encouraged by. He hadn't pitched for 36 days, right? September 12th was the last time. He's dealing with an injury that requires at least, I think, it's eight weeks to heal and get better. He came back in five. So the velo was there. He's hit 95, so no worries at that at that point. The slider is, I think, what guys were really getting a hold of, and he wasn't locating, and he wasn't hitting his spots in a way that you're better than the Astros. The Astros are really good. If you make... A centimeter mistake, they're going to make you pay. That's how good that team is. So watching Max, I think, really got out of hand in the second. He had an eight-pitch first inning. You see that, and you're thinking, all right, we're good. We're ready to go. Max is in. But the second inning, it kind of unraveled a little bit. And when you make mistakes and you give free bases and free passes, the Astros will make you pay, especially in the postseason. So I chalk it up to not pitching for over a month and coming back earlier than anyone expected, which you have to respect. But – I will say this. I don't know if he starts another game for me in the postseason. I I maybe feel more comfortable letting him come in, maybe a higher leverage situation to relieve. I don't know if he's starting a game for me. Let's go larger picture here. Do you think Rob Manfred's worried a little bit that this postseason hasn't had too many signature moments? It's been a lot of blowouts so far, a lot of shorter series. Do you think that he's worried at all about this postseason? Well, I would say there have been good signature moments. The bigger concern would be how quick it is going and then the fact that you had so many sweeps in the wild card round. The Rangers were able to sweep their way all the way to the LCS. So were the Diamondbacks. So those series went faster. You didn't see the biggest stars longer, right? You didn't see Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts longer for uh, the Rangers side in Baltimore. All those young guys, all the youthful people they have on their team and the rising stars, you didn't see them for very long either. So I think that's that's maybe the bigger question is why were they less competitive in October? Why were some teams so much better than others? But I will say, Matt, I do feel like we've had some good signature moments. I think the Phillies in particular have had a ton. Kyle Schwarber ambushing first pitch, leadoff home run. The fact that they've had multiple guys with multiple home runs, Nick Castellanos in particular there, I think for the Rangers and the defense that you've seen on that side and, and some of the big moments. I think there's been some moments, and I think there are bigger moments to come. My, my bigger, bigger concern, and I think it's a larger issue too, is you could talk about the Braves being a 104-win team and not getting uh, and getting knocked out right in the first round by the Phillies. I think those are probably question marks, but um, yeah, that's for me, the larger picture. Last question for you. Uh, in theory, would you rather be the team that has the three middle home games, or would you rather be the team that has the first two home games and the last two home games in the World Series? Oh, my gosh. Well, here, here's, here's what's tough is when you don't get to win at home, 
right? I think about the Phillies who are punching their ticket, and I assume if it's not four games, then it's going to go five games, and I don't think they return back to the bank for the LCS. So for me, I, maybe I would rather be the road team so that I can try to win at home. That's really cocky, though, right, to think that you could win in five games in the postseason. It's obviously been done a lot already in October. But, yeah, I think I want the middle games. I want more games with my fans, and I'm okay to try to split the first two and then win it at home. All right. Uh, tell everybody where they can uh, listen to you next on uh, on Sirius XM Radio. I'll be on tomorrow, 10 to 1, XM 89. We'll be filling in on Power Alley, so we'll have a good time tomorrow. Sounds good, Danny. You're the best. We'll talk to you during the World Series. Thanks, Matt. Have a good one. You too. That's uh, Danny Wexelman of Sirius XM uh, MLB Radio, SNY. Follow her on Twitter at Danny Wax. I, 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 I agree. See, so she agrees with me. You want the, the middle three games because if you get the one early one, then you may not have to go back to wherever it is. Um, I, I agree, especially if you have a home field advantage. And I would think that would be like that in any sport. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's always fascinating because then the other argument is you have four home games if you're the first two and the last two, but you may not get to those last two. So therefore you might have less home games. So it's always one of those things we can, uh, kind of figure out. We'll go more into that a little bit later on the show, but let's take a time out coming up. It's, it's game night for James Madison. They are on the road, taking on Marshall tonight. Uh, we hope to catch up with the voice of the Dukes, either this segment, next segment, hopefully before the end of the show at four o'clock when we take you out to the pregame game uh, for the uh, game coming up uh, in the NLCS. So we will try and catch up and talk a little Dukes football next. You're listening to 1061 ESPN. Your home for the Dallas Cowboys all season is 1061 ESPN. Brought to you by Arthur's Electric and Park and Go. Your trash is trash. Welcome back. 1061 ESPN Matt Joseph's here. Thanks to Danny Wexelman. If you ever miss an interview, you can go to our website, ESPNRichmond.com, and uh, check out any interview done by me, Bob, Al, whoever. Uh, you can go to our website. You can also go to our website, and I'm excited about this. You can also go to our website, and you can click on a link to go and try and win tickets to Ashlandberry Farm for either their pumpkin picking part, which uh, is a very nice uh, alliteration there, or Terror on the Farm, which I will definitely be doing. Uh, go to our website, ESPNRichmond.com. You'll see the link on the front page. Enter to win your chance to go to Ashlandberry Farm to go get scared or to go get some pumpkins. Uh, you won't be doing any of that stuff tonight because you'll be watching the Dukes. Uh, they are on TV tonight. The four-letter network. So excited for that uh, as the nation gets to see the best G5 school there is. 7 o'clock as James Madison takes on Marshall. And uh, looking forward to talking to our next guest. And it's always good to get him on game day as well. Joining us now, the voice of the Dukes, Dave Rigger. Dave, how's it going? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Doing well, Dave. How's the uh, pregame spread? Is it a little too early for the pregame spread there? It is too early. I just got to the stadium trying to set up right now. They're, they're testing the sound system, so I closed the window to help out a little bit. But uh, first time in Huntington for football. We came for basketball a year ago, but now that these two teams are in the Sun Belt together, now I think this will turn into a pretty good rivalry just because of how the two programs are very similar, the universities are very similar, I think this will turn into a good rivalry. But first time here, looking forward to it. Dukes are looking for their first ever win against the Thundering Herd. Uh, before we get to the game itself, Dave, let me just read this off. ESPN today, ESPN2 last week, ESPNU the week before, the NFL Network earlier this year. What do you think all this exposure is doing for a program that's currently 6-0? and uh, It's been unbelievable exposure. The, 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 <laughs> this is why they made the move to the FBS. Again, as good as they were at the FCS level, 
they would only get national TV games when they got to the semifinals of the national championship. That was it. So there were a handful of, of games a year, and that's it, and really a handful of games every few years. So it's just the exposure that they have, the eyeballs right now, especially with what's been going on with the, the denial of the waiver, not being able to play for a conference championship, not being able to play in a bowl game unless there aren't enough bowl-eligible teams, and them continuing to win just puts more eyeballs. I know ESPN obviously has the game tonight. Matt Berry, who does Sports Center, who calls the game tonight, I, he told Coach Signetti and, and Chris Brooks over at JMU that, hey, they're going to they're gonna kind of go with the NCAA about, about this. So there's so many eyeballs now on this. There's so many people talking about the attorney general and trying to, to get different things done in the state of Virginia that um, this exposure is, I don't know that you can put a price tag on it. It's been unbelievable for this program to make the jump and have so many eyeballs notice James Madison. Uh, last week, we talked to the coach. He mentioned how important the game was against Georgia Southern. He wanted to make it essentially bolt and board material that they lost the game last year in that exact same situation. And, Dave, it felt personal for JMU in that game, and they took it out on him last week. They did. They, they had that, that, that one circled for a long time. They did not play how they're capable of. I know Coach Signetti probably even told you that they, they overlooked probably Georgia Southern a little bit. The guys got a little high on themselves. Heck, they were ranked in the top 25 at that point a year ago. Riding high, five and zero their first year in the FBS, and didn't and gave up six hundred yards almost. Um, so they they had that one circled for a while. They did make that one personal. They wanted some revenge, and ironically enough, the week after they lost to Georgia Southern, they lost at home to Marshall. Their only loss last year inside Bridgeport Stadium. So there's a little bit of the same factor tonight in the fact that hey, these guys came to our place on homecoming a year ago and spoiled that day. It was a two consecutive two consecutive losses for JMU, and now they. they I think they want to get some revenge now and continue Marshall's losing streak, who lost two consecutive football games. So I think that what what happened last week, there's some of that, and it's kept the guys motivated. There's no question about that. What do you make of Jordan's season so far? Obviously, we didn't think he was going to be the starter entering the year, but he's been pretty good ever since being installed one. I want to give him a ton of credit because you're right. He did not win the job coming out of fall camp. And a veteran guy that comes from a, a Power 5 school like Arizona he could sulk. He could. He could quit. Yeah, I mean, I think he, he probably thought he came in and uh, this will be my job. You know, no big deal. I'll, I'll win the job. I'll, I'll get. I'll, I'll get. I'll be named the starting quarterback. And you know what? He just put his head down and worked and and didn't complain. Didn't cause any any issues at all. He was a good teammate. And again, it didn't last long because he came in the first game and he was ready to go and he played very very well and he's taken off since. But the last few weeks, I've really seen him become comfortable. Um, he's, he stood in the pocket last week and took some shots, delivered some big-time third- and fourth-down passes, especially early in the football game. And I didn't see that happen early in the season. We saw happy feet from him quite a bit. And he just he hadn't, he had played about five games the last two years combined with injuries and transferring and everything like that, where he's now becoming comfortable. And I think he's confident now. The guys around him are confident in him, and you can see it's his team. And I don't think it was. And he didn't, he didn't have the Todd Santeo factor a year ago where he came in, hey, I'm going to win the job. I'm going to go to work. This is going to be my team. Jordan kind of he, – he's not quite as, as vocal. He's got to kind of do it by his actions on the field. But you can see it now, and you can see guys gravitating toward him. So he is starting to really become comfortable in this offense. I talked to him earlier this week, and he feels really good about how this offense is starting to come together right now. It feels like when you look at the Dukes and the players that get in these games and register to statistics, they are the perfect thing for the transfer portal because we see a great mix of homegrown kids, kids that have been with the program, and yet the right players that have come from the transfer portal are succeeding as well. 
Well, that's the one thing. You look at a lot of these schools that JMU's playing. Heck, when they played South Alabama, there's a ton of SEC transfers. So you're thinking, oh, these guys are going to come from the SEC, come from Tennessee, Alabama, Ole Miss, those teams, and come in and be instant impact guys. Well, some are, some aren't. We see guys come from Florida State and places like that to Marshall, and they've got a lot of Power 5 transfers. JMU hasn't had a ton of Power 5 transfers. There's a few, there's a handful, but there's not a ton. And that's the one thing that they really are very selective in who they go after and really who fits the profile of a JMU football player, who wants to get coached hard, who's going to be the best teammate. And so they may not have great stats at other places, but once they get here, get coached up, and learn the system, it's very. This system is very, especially quarterback friendly. We've seen that the last couple of years, but it's friendly to other players as well. And I think they just get, they they really do their homework and due diligence on finding the right type of players that will fit this program and and, and make the most of their opportunities. Yeah, let's go over to the other side of the ball where it feels like this is very important. JMU has the number one rush defense, and it's a really far margin between them and one, uh, number two. Uh, Rasheen Ali feels like a lot of. Mar- Marshall's offenses, so that feels like a matchup to watch tonight. Talking to Brian Haynes, the defensive coordinator, earlier today, he said the biggest key is containing 22, and that's Rashin Ali's number. He's a guy that had 23 touchdowns two years ago to lead college football. He has 11 so far this year, and he's averaging about 106 yards per football game. Really talented player. He had a 65-yard touchdown reception a week ago against Georgia State. Um, so he's one of the best backs in, I think, all of college football. And this is a team that prides themselves on running the football. And we've seen teams just abandon the run this year against this Jamie Rush defense. It's been phenomenal what they've done. And as you mentioned, it's not close who's number two in, in rushing defense. Jamie's given up just over 42 yards per game, and nobody's cracked 100 yards. And they've had two backs that they've faced. Kamani Vidal from Troy leads the country right now in rushing. He had 27 yards against Jamie on seven carries. And they almost abandoned the run despite having the country's leading rusher. And then South Alabama's LaDamian Webb. He's a guy that is was a first-team all-conference guy a year ago. He was averaging over 100 yards per game. He had 21 yards on, on like eight carries. So they have contained some really good backs, but this one might be the best tonight. And this is a team that I think will stay committed to the run. Teams have abandoned the run. I think they'll try and stay committed to the run. But one thing that's hurt teams against JMU, the fast starts for James Madison's offense. They jumped out to quick starts against UVA 17 nothing. Uh, against Troy, they scored in their first drive. Against Utah State, they're up 24 nothing. So teams have to throw the football and can't just sit there and run. So if they could get out to a quick start, maybe they could get them out of what they want to do. But I think Marshall will be one of the teams that does stay committed to the run like other teams have not. It's crazy to think the depth that they have on the defensive line because they lose a guy like Isaac, and that it doesn't feel like they miss him at all because this team has actually gotten better def- defending the run since last year. The one thing that's interesting is how will they hold up, and that's been a question all year long, is they just don't have a ton of depth. You mentioned Isaac Uku. He's at Ole Miss now, has three sacks, and has played well for them. They thought they were going to keep him. He, he, he went through spring ball. Um, he was with the team doing media interviews, and then right after spring ball, decided to, to hit the portal and go to Ole Miss. So that certainly hurt, and especially the timing hurt where they couldn't go get another transfer or somebody to kind of fill his void. So they are very limited up front as far as their depth. They've got a lot of young players, but guys that just – Quite aren't aren't quite ready to play, but a guy like Jalen Green is he's one of the top sackers in the country right now. He's been phenomenal. He just got named to the midseason uh, Chuck Bednarik Award watch list as one of the top defensive players in college football, uh, and he's been unbelievable so far. And he's finally got an opportunity, and that's the one thing they've done a great job in recruiting to get some depth. Where you see a guy like Jalen Walker last year, or two years ago, when Diamante Tucker Dorsey transfers at Texas, Jalen, a, a Richmond kid. 
steps right in, and he takes off and, and is, is just as good as what they've had before. And now Jalen Green doing the same thing. When Isaac Kuku goes to Ole Miss, he gets an opportunity to play more snaps, and he's getting more snaps, and he's taking advantage of it. So the depth that they've built um, has been phenomenal just to be able to see guys step into roles that you didn't, weren't sure that they could handle. You thought hopefully they could, but when they get their opportunity, they take advantage of them. Last one for you so we can let you get ready for the broadcast. Um, what has this team done during the short week to maintain health but get themselves ready for this game? The one thing that helped was having the bye week before the Georgia Southern game because I think they were pretty banged up after those first five with three of those being on the road in consecutive weeks, having a long trip to Utah. So health-wise, I think they're about as good as they can be. They've lost some kids to, to the to the to the season. They've lost them for the season because of injuries. Not going to get those guys back. But everybody else... Their two linebackers, Jalen Walker, Torres Jones are back. And everybody else, I think, is, is pretty healthy for the most part. And they stayed healthy through that Georgia Southern game. And this is their first ever Thursday game. So I talked to Coach Signetti earlier today just about, you know, how do you go about this? And he's just like, well, I've been doing this long enough. Back when I was coaching Phillip Rivers at NC State, we had some Thursday games, a lot of Thursday games in the ACC at that point in time. So he kind of went back to, to his roots and, and some of what they did back then and, and, and talked to some of the his colleagues in the business to see what they do. But – I think I don't think they changed much. I think they just they probably put the same amount of, of plays and, and coverages and just different things in this week, but probably didn't practice it as much. So that's probably where the coaches are a little concerned. You know, not as many reps in practice um, in, in some of the things that they want to do against Marshall. But again, I think they'll be ready. These guys have been there. They've been laser focused this entire year. Um, they want to show. They want to show the country. They're all excited to be on national television as well to show the country what Jamie football is all about. So I don't think the short week will hurt. And honestly, heck, Marshall's at home, which helps them. But they were on the road late Saturday night playing a game in Atlanta, trying to come back and then have a short week to get ready for JMU. So they're in a boat where they're pretty banged up right now. And it's just, the, the short week is hard on everybody, but I think Jamie's handled it about as well as you can. Dave, we'll be watching the game on TV on mute so we can listen to the broadcast. Uh, thank you so much, <laughs> as always, and have a good one. All right, my man. I appreciate you anytime. Sounds good. Um, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Um, I think there's actually a, an app or a program that you can download that will sync up the radio or the app if you're listening to it on the, an app uh, with the television. Uh, although our guy, one of the guys I love on the ACC Network, Roddy Jones, is one of the analysts for this. And hopefully we'll get Roddy on next week, talk a little ACC football, and then get his impressions on the best G5 school there is. It's so weird because you look at what Marshall's done. So Marshall's 4-2. and two. So like follow along on this journey that they've had. Week 1, they win 21-17 over Albany. That's it. They beat Albany, who's not terrible, not great. Uh, 21-17. Then they go to Greenville and they win 31-13 against East Carolina. Then they come home uh, after a bye week. So they have a, th- a week three bye. Then they come home and they host Virginia Tech. We'll, we'll gloss over that game for the Hokie fans. Then after that, they host Old Dominion. They were losing in the first half. They didn't look good. And then the offense saved them and they get the, the six-point victory. They don't cover. Then they go to Raleigh to play NC State. The defense disappears. The offense plays better than it has, and they lose 48-41. And then the next week, they head down to Turner Field to go play Georgia State. As Dave mentioned, it was a 7 o'clock game, so they probably weren't done until 10, 1030, and then had to go home. They lose that game 41-24, to and now on Thursday, they host James Madison. Um, as he mentioned, they run the ball. They run the ball pretty well. Cam Fancher's their quarterback. Seven touchdown passes, five interceptions. 
I don't like the guy. I don't think he's very good. Um, I don't believe in him as a court. He doesn't scare me. Uh, if I'm the Dukes, and obviously I am not, I'm just a fan, I would load the box up with eight, nine in the box, and I would just basically make them throw it to beat them. And I would play press coverage and send that defensive line towards the quarterback. Um, you know, JMU has shown their secondary has at times struggled a little bit. You look at the South Alabama game, the, the you know the Utah State game. They had some coverage busts against Virginia, but that's when they had Virginia had their good quarterback in. Um, so there is this secondary is exploitable, but I, I just Cam doesn't scare me. I'm I'm putting eight or nine in the box, and I'm basically saying Marshall, you want to run, keep running. They've run. So let's see here. So they've had 213 pass attempts and 229 rushes. 73 of those rushes came from uh, the quarterback, so I don't know necessarily if they called quarterback draws or if they called uh, or if they were uh, scrambles. But this is as he as he said, this is a team that wants to run the ball. I, I highly think this is a winnable game for the Dukes tonight. I do. Um, uh, I'm a bit concerned about the short week and the travel, but I feel like we literally had this discussion what two weeks ago. We said, "Oh, the Bears could never go to DC. Short week. The Commanders have got this." And then the Bears put up 40. So maybe James Madison, who is nowhere near the Bears in terms of talent, uh, they're better, uh, at least for the college level. Maybe they can go and just take care of business. They are a three-and-a-half-point favorite tonight. Uh, total is 49. I would, if you want to, protect yourself a little. If you're an emotional hedger like me, maybe take Marshall plus the points. And then that way, if JMU loses, which I don't think they will, or if the JMU wins by three, then you win your money and you win your, uh, get the victory. Um, you know, if JMU wins this game, you look at that last slate, ODU at home, sorry, Monarchs fans, they're going to probably win that game, uh, at Georgia State, they should win that game. Georgia State's been better than people think. UConn at home, I mean, come on. App State at home, come on. At Coastal Carolina, I mean, look, Grayson McCall, who knows if they'll even be healthy by then. I think it would be the greatest thing ever if JMU goes 12-0, and and they don't make a New Year's Day bowl. And they don't make a bowl at all. Because that would be an ultimate embarrassment for those who are uh, were following along. So they, the Attorney General sent a letter to the NCAA on behalf of James Madison. And then the NCAA basically sent back a letter that said, like, yeah, this is not going to happen. And it was a long letter by Charlie Baker, the NCAA president. Um, he basically was like, yeah, congratulations, super, you guys are 6-0, and but like we have this rule in place, so we can't actually let you do it. Which I'm hoping, even 11-1, and like let's be honest, as I've said, Air Force and Wyoming were the two teams that were previously in that role. JMU would beat both of them by three touchdowns. Both of them by three touchdowns. And they're not going to make a bowl game, and they're not going to be in the New Year's six. Like it, it was embarrassing last year for the Sun Belt to have the championship game without JMU because they earned it and everything. But it would be an even worse embarrassment for the NCAA to have another team kind of shuffle off into that New Year's Bowl when JMU's just sitting there at 11 and 1, 12 and 0, and basically saying, "Yeah, um, there's a lot of people here. You know, there's a lot of talent in James Madison. Yet it doesn't matter." So I'm hoping for it. We'll talk about tomorrow. We'll recap things tomorrow on the show. 
Um, but it's I'm excited to watch JMU on the national stage tonight. And I hope ESPN takes hits at the uh, NCAA for this thing because they deserve it. Uh, 3270-888, that is the phone number, that is the text line. Uh, don't forget the area code 804. And uh, don't forget, go to our website, ESPNRichmond.com. You can find all of our interviews there. If you ever miss an interview, go to our website, ESPNRichmond.com. You can also win tickets there. Now, they're doing the promotion across a bunch of the stations. Um, but if you go, there are two separate contests, it looks like. One is for Ashlandbury Farm, the pumpkin picking part. Got to be careful saying that. And then the other one's for Terror on the Farm, and I will be there one night. I don't know which one yet, but I will definitely, I love that sort of thing. Uh, I'm huge into Halloween, as you all know. So go to our website, find the Tricks or Treats page, and get yourself a chance to win. All the information's on there. All the legal jargon is on there as well. All right, let's take a timeout. Coming up, the Commanders. Our favorite for who, if he becomes available? One sports book has Washington making, I would say, a drastic change this offseason, potentially. We'll tell you who. I'll give you my thoughts on that as we take you up to 4 o'clock. You're listening to 1061 ESPN. This weekend, the Spiders travel to Greensboro to take on the Aggies of North Carolina A&T. Catch all the action here beginning Saturday afternoon at 1230 here on your exclusive home for the Richmond Spiders. 1061 ESPN. Welcome back. 1061 ESPN. Matt Joseph's here. Short segment. And um, so there is a sports book out there. Sportsbetting.ag. Never heard of it. They have odds for which team Bill Belichick will coach for in 2024, if not the Patriots. And the Washington Commanders are number one at two to one. Commanders two to one, Bears three to one, Chargers four to one, Raiders six to one, Titans seven to one, Bucks nine to one, Vikings nine to one. I'll just tell you this right now: that would be a worse hire than Ron Rivera. That would be a worse hire than Ron Rivera. Like this is an organization who, throughout their time, has basically gone out, seen stars, seen stars out there, and said, you know. Character 37, 38, 39, whatever, back end of their career. Jeff George, Bruce Smith, Deion Sanders, Donovan McNabb. Like, we don't care. We just want them. And if there was ever somebody who was in the backside of their career, it would be Bill Belichick. And let me tell you this if the commanders let Ron Rivera go, which I'm hoping for their future, they will. I'm not rooting for it, obviously. I don't root for people to get fired. Um, if they get rid of Ron Rivera and turn to Bill Belichick, I think that would be a disaster. Bill, the GM is terrible. Bill, the coach is predictable. Um, his assistants, I'm assuming he would bring his son with him and their defense has been pretty good in the past, but like you have your next head coach on your staff right now. It's Eric B like, you just move Eric Bieniemy over. Bill Belichick would be a disaster for the Commanders next year. It would arguably be a worse hire than Ron Rivera has been. AJ, true or false? True. You don't have to agree if you don't agree. I actually do agree. Okay, just making sure. Um, yeah, Bill Belichick should not be coaching anybody. I think that once... Because who's to tell me that Bill Belichick's going to be a good head coach elsewhere? Like, where would he even go? Like, where would it even halfway work? Well, it's got to be a roster that's already set up, which is why Chargers at 4-1 to is not terrible. Like, the Chargers have a roster. They just have an idiot for a head coach. 
Um, the Vikings might not be terrible. Like Kirk Cousins seems like a Bill Belichick quarterback. If they decide to bring Kirk Cousins back, remember he's on the final year of his deal. Those are two teams that make sense. But I would think it would be a disaster of epic proportions if Bill Belichick's net was the next head coach of the Washington Commanders next year. That would just be awful. And I would feel awful for you guys as Commanders fans if that was the case. Because there's just there's no there's no reason for it. None whatsoever. Uh, so yeah. But I thought that was interesting that one sports book says, hey, the commanders are the favorite. Uh three two seven zero eight eight eight. That is the phone number. That is the text line. Uh, real quick, let's try and update you on the uh, uh the injury report. Kendall Fuller was the only one who didn't practice for the commanders. Jonathan Allen, Christian Holmes, and James Smith Williams were the uh, limited ones. Everybody else was full. Uh Matt Pert, John Michael Schmitz, and Andrew Thomas, three offensive linemen, did not practice for the uh, Giants. Evan Neal was upgraded from do not practice to limited. Um, and then Daniel Jones was still limited once again. So let's uh, take a timeout. One final segment, 1061 ESPN. season is in full swing and we don't want anyone to forget we have nfl coverage every sunday afternoon as well as every dallas cowboys broadcast here on your home for sports in the river city 1061 espn richmond welcome back 1061 ESPN, Matt Joseph's here. Uh, final minute of the show. Tomorrow we'll be out the uh, Dominion Energy Charity Classic uh, for our yearly uh, interviews there. Uh, at the uh, Hopefully, if you're out at the golf club, you can come say hello. I'll be there in the morning. I will be there in the afternoon from 3 until 4. You know what we do on Fridays? We do uh, Tim Murray Vison. He joins us, and uh, we'll get his thoughts on this weekend's matchups. Uh, we'll get his thoughts on some other games as well. And uh, we'll do that tomorrow at uh, 3.15. Thanks to our guest today, Danny Waxelman. Uh, you can check her out on MLB Network, S- uh, Sirius XM Radio. She's all over the place, at Danny Wax, D-A-N-I-W-E-X on Twitter. And then, of course, the voice of the JMU Dukes as they get set for their game tonight at Marshall, 7 o'clock on ESPN. Mute the game on TV, listen to it on the radio, uh, and hopefully the Dukes get another victory. We'll recap it tomorrow. Thanks to AJ for all his hard work. And uh, I will be back tomorrow from 3 until 4 here on 106.1 ESPN. <laughs>